Father, we do thank you for this time here. We thank you for the time that is available to look into your word, to see your plan for this world, your plan for your creation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Outside of Mansfielders, does anybody know what this is a picture of? Outside of Mansfielders. Yes. Yes. Ohio State Reformatory, this, this was built and commissioned and put into operation in 1896. So this was torn down when it was decommissioned. So there was a big wall way back here, way up here, way down here. There was a big clinic buildings in the back here. So that was all torn down. What we see here, this is the parking lot for Richland Correctional Institution right behind here. It has about 2,500 inmates, and we're up the road here, Mansfield Correctional, with another 2,500 inmates. So Corrections is probably Mansfield's second biggest employer. So 1896 put in operation. The judge ordered it closed in 1990 in part because of inhumane conditions and even though I'm not a Boy Scout I would say yes the conditions in this prison were somewhat on the inhumane side so this was the east wing inmates housed here the west wing inmates housed here so an interesting tidbit here on the east cell block, the east cell block is six stories high. It is the largest all-steel cell block in the world. Six stories high. It is entirely made of steel. The front is steel. The floors are steel. The ceilings are steel. The walls are steel. It's all steel and rather foreboding. So, yes, indeed, it was probably time to close it. So this OSR was used as a setting for a lot of movies. What is probably the most popular movie filmed here? Anybody know? All right, Shawshank Redemption, absolutely. So there were some other ones filmed. I think we had Stallone here once and uh, Harrison Ford and so on. But anyway, if you come to Mansfield, if you have time on your hands, this place is open for tours, side to side, top to bottom, front to back. The entire place is open for tours. It would be a highly, I think, interesting and intellectual experience to go through that. So just a word if you have the time and the effort and you would like to do something in Mansfield. There's not much to Marty. Because originally it was made for rehabbing kids. Right, and most of that was for the, the so originally this was set up for younger kids, so it was a reformatory or a penitentiary reformatory, not exactly a prison. So, yes, and the reason it was, it looks like a castle a Gothic castle is because they wanted to kind of put the fear of the Lord in these people. And that was a time when you were allowed to actually talk about rehabilitating people in the name of Jesus. But that is long gone. So 
As nothing is free, this ad was brought to you by the Richland Mansfield Area Chamber of Commerce. So. Okay, we now have a review slide. This is from about five years ago. I think we did something on Israel. Who is this very handsome-looking young man? Anybody remember? B.B. Absolutely. This is B.B. Netanyahu, who, when we first showed this slide, was a prime minister. And now we show the slide about five years later. He is, again, the prime minister of Israel. This shows him, this is probably about 1969, the War of Attrition. Uh, he was a member of the Sakriot Maktel, which is Israel's number one special ops force, for he was kind of like a Navy SEAL type of guy back then. So this is Bibi. He's aged just a bit, but he's still going. So what do we want to talk about today? What's percolating? So there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. We could talk about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and uh, Noah Yuval Harari and all that's happening with the World Economic Forum and how much carbon they're spewing into the atmosphere by going back and forth on their jets. So there's a lot of stuff that we could focus on that may, in fact, at some point be utilized by the Antichrist. So four things that we decided Israel versus Iran, that struggle, central bank digital currency, AI, and transhumanism. So, as we heard yesterday, there are seven times of seven years of trouble, of misery coming on this earth, as recorded in Revelation. And Par was given him who the Antichrist over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation. There will come a time, seven years of tribulation, there will be an Antichrist who will, in fact, come to dominate, point to that. So I want to spend a little time on this Israel versus Iran conflict. So remember in the Old Testament, Iran is also known as Persia. So in the Old Testament, it was Persia. Remember the Babylonian captivity. The Israelites were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken to Babylon. In due time, Babylon was conquered by Persia. And remember King Cyrus, the Isaiah prophecy of King Cyrus, who basically said, okay, guys, you've stayed here long enough. You've worn out. You're welcome. You are all welcome, Jews, to go back to your homeland, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. I'll even send money along. Go ahead and do it. So he was an Iranian, a Persian, King Cyrus. So the relationship between Israel and Iran goes, goes way back. But the recent issues, I mean, this, this problem that Iran wants to, to destroy Israel, to take them off the face of the earth, you can probably trace it back to the late 70s. So Iran, the late 70s, 70s, for some years, had been ruled by a shah, which is basically a king. In 1979, the Iranians revolted. They kicked the shah out, and they brought Ayatollah Khomeini into power. So what the Iranians did, basically, they, they had a secular dictatorship with the shah and his secret police. They revolted. They booted them all out. They got Khomeini in. And so for all their troubles, 
They went from a secular dictatorship to a theocratic dictatorship, basically. So if you remember that, that 1979 was a bad year for the U.S. in Iran. During this revolution, the U.S. embassy was overrun. There were about 50 employees of the embassy that were taken hostage by the Iranians, and they were held hostage for 444 days. And this was an absolute thorn in the side of President Carter and may even have led to his defeat in the elections. But in any case, things got to the point where Carter felt, we have to launch a rescue mission, get these people out. And so in 1980, there was an Operation Eagle Claw where the special forces went in, actually went into Iran, landed on a desert strip, and from there things went south. There was an accident. Eight Americans died, and it was a disastrous defeat for America, basically. And Iran trumpeted. They had won a great victory over the great Satan. So from the time of Khomeini till now, we are the great Satan, and Israel is the little Satan. And so this conflict between Iran and Israel goes back some years. And what we've had over the years... We've had President Obama try to do this, this accord, this treaty, nuclear treaty. Our next President Trump said, no, this is not the way to go. Israel did not want it. But Biden is back trying to do something again unilaterally, and Israel's not for this. And so back and forth, and over these last several years, the Mossad, you, you hear about what's happening in Iran. Okay, so the big thing in Iran is what? They are enriching uranium. What's uranium for? Well, they say for peaceful purposes. A lot of other people, including the Israelis, say this is for the bomb. And so we have the Mossad. You hear, you know, every few months or a year or so, there's, there's Iranian nuclear scientists disappear. Okay? Israel says, oh, we had nothing to do with it. And it's obvious the Mossad has purposely, if you want to say, executed Iranian scientists, and you hear the Stuxnet virus, and they've tried to blow up some nuclear ideas and cause fires in them, and, and all kinds of things to slow down the Iranians, but in the end, it just slows them down. It doesn't stop them. And so, what is going on with this conflict? How close is Iran to the bomb? And is Israel in danger of annihilation? This, is, this picture is of a, a model of the Fat Man atomic bomb that was the second one dropped in, uh, in, on Japan on Nagasaki. So just to get some idea of the size here, this thing is over 10 feet long, weighs over 5 tons, and is 5 feet diameter. This was a huge instrument of destruction. So... What this thing destroyed, you could probably do now with a nuclear weapon, not more than 20, 30 pounds, maybe. So you could say we've come a long way. Some people say, well, that's, we've come a long way in a very bad way. So Israel, once again, threatened with destruction. Let me read some parts of Psalm 83. Psalm 83, a psalm of Asaph. 
O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation. So what? So that Israel's name is remembered no more. And some people say Psalm 83 is a general lament about all the peoples that have come against Israel. Some people say Psalm 83 is a prophetic lament, like what is still to come as nations want to annihilate Israel. So nothing new that Israel is under the gun. I mean, you can make nuclear weapons using uranium or plutonium, so... The Iranians, it looks like, are going with uranium. So it's all about uranium. And so here from your chemistry classes, you can see here's U, symbol for uranium. The atomic number looks like 92. If you remember the atomic number of the number of protons, and then by definition also the number of electrons. So you go out and you look at your stack of uranium ore that you have in your garage, for when you may need to use it in the coming bad times, if you have to make your own little personal bomb. Natural uranium out in nature is basically made up of two isotopes. So when you have isotopes of an element, they differ only in the number of neutrons they have. So 99.3% of your 100 pounds of uranium, so a little over 99 pounds, is uranium-238. 238. 238 Almost a pound, not quite, of your stash of uranium is U-235. So the only difference here in these isotopes is the number of neutrons. U-238 obviously has three more neutrons than U-235. And you say, so what? Who cares? Here's the thing. We want this. We don't care about this. We want this for our bomb. But the problem is 0.7% is not going to get us anywhere. If we want to make a bomb in our garage, our basement, if the Iranians want to make a bomb, and that's what you hear about. What are the Iranians doing? They are enriching. They are enriching uranium. So what you want to do in your stack of uranium is go from 0.7% to 90%. So you want to enrich your uranium from 07 to 90%. You 235. And that's what it's all about. So, you have to increase, like we said, up here, natural uranium, okay? Almost 100% here's 238. Low enriched uranium, stuff you might use in your local nuclear reactor. Three to five for a reactor, low enriched 20%. Okay, we have to go way down here. Highly enriched uranium. Weapons-grade uranium is greater than 85% U-235. So you want to get all this purple out and go to almost all orange. So the Iranians are doing this by using gas centrifuges. So you turn your uranium ore, your yellow cake, you turn it into uranium hexafluoride, which is a solid but can easily be turned into a gas. You take your uranium hexafluoride gas, and you run it through thousands of centrifuges. So you hear the Iranians, you hear about they have cascades of centrifuges, thousands of centrifuges, they're making other centrifuges. So the point is you run this through these cascades of centrifuges, thousands of them, and what you're trying to do is separate 
the 238, the 235, enrich the 235. And that takes a lot of work and effort because you're talking, the, the only difference here between them is the mass of three measly neutrons. And you have to work to separate and separate those out until, so probably you need more room than your basement to do this. So, we hear about, we want treaties with Iran, Biden wants treaties, the IEA, the atomic weapons inspectors, they want to go to Iran and check things out and see what they're doing and what their centrifuges are doing. So the question is, how close, how close is Iran to weapons-grade uranium? Remember, we want 90% U-235. The Iranians admit they're up to 60% U-235. So the most recent estimate, as of, I think, March of this year, is that Iran needs just four weeks to produce enough 90% U-235 for five weapons. But that's just the beginning. So you have your 90% U-235, but it's still in the form of UF-6, uranium fluoride-6, hexafluoride. So they need to take that and turn that into uranium metal. It's not just good enough to have this. You have to turn it into the uranium metal. You need about 16 kilograms, 30-some pounds, for the core of one bomb. So you have to take your uranium hexafluoride. You need to turn it into metal. You need to machine it. You need to form it. You need to cast it. Then you have to make your bomb. Just because you have your uranium doesn't mean anything. You've got to be able to form it, mold it, put explosives around. It's a whole bunch of physics work to get this thing to actually work. And then you have to mount it on something. You know, you're not going to say, hey, you guy, you're driving a van to Israel next week, throw it in the back and take off to Israel. So you need to be able to mount this more than likely on a ballistic missile. Interesting to note, Iran has one of the most advanced ballistic missile programs around. So, estimates, it's going to take at least 6 plus 12 months for them to fabricate a viable nuclear weapon, one that you can actually threaten somebody with. So, what is Israel going to do about this? Remember, Israel is the little Satan. Iran says we're going to destroy Israel. We're going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Israel has to obviously take this threat seriously. So what, what are they going to do? Oh, just one more news item here. Breaking news. Every nation wants a hypersonic missile. That's a new toy of the military, hypersonic missile. So what's a hypersonic missile, ballistic missile? It's one that goes really, really fast. So the fastest planes we have or had was probably the SR-71 reconnaissance plane that went about, it could probably go up to three times the speed of sound. So a hypersonic missile is five times and up the speed of sound. So everybody needs a few of these to threaten other nations with, and Iran has just come out and said, hey, we have one too, watch out. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. All right, Bibi says we're not going to let Iran get the bomb. Okay, so Bibi, what are you going to do? We can probably figure out that diplomacy in the end is not going to work. Israel is going to have to take action. 
Number one, Iran has multiple nuclear sites, not just one, not just two, not just three. There are multiple nuclear sites. Some of these are really deeply underground, up to 300 feet underground. How are you going to get at them? And the debate is, are these sites too far underground to destroy? Even if the U.S. would supply weapons, are these sites still too deep to reach? And where does the U.S. stand? Would they give them a green light? Would they give them a yellow light? Would they turn their back and say, we don't see, no, hear anything, you guys do what you need to do as Israel would attack alone? Remember, if these are too far underground to destroy, Israel is probably going to need the United States' help for this. So, we'll see. What are the possible ramifications of an Israel strike? What can happen, what might happen, what probably will happen if Israel would go ahead and do this? Remember, Bibi says Iran is not going to get the bomb. And we have to take Israel seriously because they have done things like this before. They have bombed nuclear sites before. Israel has destroyed existential threats before. First time, Operation Opera, 1981. There was a nuclear reactor that the Iraqis, remember the Iraqis of weapons of mass destruction fame, they were building a reactor that Israel was convinced would be used for nuclear weapons. So, Menachem Begin, who was the prime minister at the time, said, we're going to take it out. And so they did. They sent a mission that was able to go all the way over Saudi Arabia, Jordan, into Iraq without even being detected, and they destroyed this reactor. It took about two minutes. They destroyed it, took it out. And so this established here the Begin Doctrine, which said basically, you know what? This strike on this Iraqi nuclear act is not a one-off event. We don't just stop here with this. We're going to make this a doctrine said, this is a precedent, precedent for every future government in Israel. Okay, remember that. This is a precedent. This is not a one-off thing. This is something we can keep doing. And then we have Operation Outside the Box. There was a nuclear actor in Syria. The Syrians were building. They got it from the North Koreans, 2007. And George W. Bush told the Prime Minister at the time, Ehud Omar, the U.S. was not willing to bomb the site, so... The Prime Minister said, hey, you know what? We're going to do just what Menachem Begin did, and they went ahead and they destroyed the Syrian reactor. So, Israel, Israel has no problems with doing stuff like this. They see a threat, and they will take it out. A note of historical interest, this young man here, his name is Ilma Ramon, he was the youngest pilot on the strike that took out the Iraqi reactor. It's also interesting, he was the first astronaut of Israel. This is Israel's first astronaut, and sadly he died in 2003 when the Columbia Space Shuttle broke apart on reentry. Historical issues. So the question is, Looking at our first topic, 
Is Israel going to implement the Begin Doctrine one more time? Because they now have precedent to destroy existential threats, which I would think many in Israel and the hierarchy and the government and the military and the Mossad say we are getting really, really close. So a lot of people say, you know what, there's going to be a regional war after this, and there probably likely will be, and it may be turned into more than a regional war. But our question, our question, again, this is a question we need to consider in this day and age. Will this turn into Ezekiel 38 and 39? Who has read Ezekiel 38 and 39? Anybody? A few? Okay. So what we're talking about, and again, this is not the, the war we're talking about in the end of Revelation. As far as people understand, it's probably it's going to happen before the tribulation, so what happens? An alliance of foreign nations will invade Israel. Okay? You bomb Iraq and Russia and the others may not like that. So we read these names, Magog, Misha, Tubal. We don't know for sure who they are, but somewhere north, way up north of Israel. And what's way up north of Israel are parts of Russia and Gomor and Beth Tormoth. The Bible says from the uttermost parts of the north, so somewhere north of Israel. And right now that probably means parts of Russia. And then we have Persia, remember Iran, Cush, Sudan, put Libya. These nations, including probably Turkey, are going to invade, invade Israel. You say, well, don't these people learn from history that what happens when you invade Israel? Well, they might, but God himself is going to send them on a mission. This is what Ezekiel, these countries will be sent on a mission by God. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I again see, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaw, and I will bring thee forth, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, Thou and many people with thee, and thou shalt come against my people, Israel, as a cloud to cover the land, and shall be in the latter days. These people are going to invade, basically on God's order. He's going to put hooks in their jaws. He's going to compel them. And maybe they're getting tired of fighting Ukraine, and they're not making progress in Ukraine. And if Putin's still around, he says, let's try something else. Maybe we'll be luckier. But these people will invade. God himself will put hooks in their jaw, bring them forth out of the north parts. Again, there's no exact timeline, but this is probably before the tribulation. Also interesting, some nations seem to object. Yemen, Yemen now is in no position to do anything. Saudi Arabia, hmm, Tarshish, we don't know. Somewhere in Europe, possibly. So it's going to be a group of nations who are going to invade Israel. And for those of you who have read 38 and 39, you know this invasion is a total disaster for the invaders. Ezekiel, 39, divine intervention. Okay, it's not the Israelis doing the defeating. It's not the Israelis defeating these armies. It is God. Divine intervention, the invading armies annihilated. Seven years to dispose of the weapons. Because of the vast number of corpses, decontamination, seven months. 
So they're going to have teams sent out. The Israelis have teams sent out. And you know how they like. They want their bearing right away. They don't want corpses laying around. Send teams out. Say, you know what? I found an arm sticking out here. There's a leg over here. There's a head over there. So you mark them. You send people out to bury them. That's going to take seven months. Does anybody know... There's a, probably a non-governmental organization in Israel that after there's a terrorist bombing, a terrorist incident, and you have blood and body parts all over, they go around and clean up all those body parts and the blood and all that because of this Jewish idea you have to bury the dead. So in effect, Israel already has a group of people, an organization that goes around and does this same thing. So the interesting thing is, after these events, and if the Antichrist is around, does this give him an opening to move into power? Because the Antichrist is not just going to pop on the scene, and the next day he pops on the scene and says, you know what, I am now the world dictator. It's going to take time. We know he has to conquer three kings out of ten kings. It's going to take him some time. So what, the question, what are some Israelis, especially those, shall we say, on the conservative side, what are some Israelis wanting to do regarding the Temple Mount? What's their, their ongoing effort? Anybody? Say who? Rebuild the temple. Okay, so there is prophecy there will be a third temple, a tribulation temple. We know in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go to the temple, go to the Holy Holies and say, I am God. So at some point in all this, there's a third temple going to be built. But first, if we're going to do it right and we want to rebuild it on where we no, the second and first temple is we've got to do something with the, the Islamic mosques that are there, something that has to be cleared off. So maybe during all this time, somehow those Islamic mosques, the Temple Mount is cleared, and there is time to rebuild this third temple. But we can't do it now, obviously, with the Islamic in power. So here's our three friends. Okay, who is this guy up here? Anybody? Who? Yes. He's the Turkish leader. He just got supposedly reelected. This guy. Who's the president of Iran now? Racy. Iran here. Who's this? He's our real friend. Who's this guy? He's the Antichrist, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. Okay, so these three guys are kind of in a semi line. What's especially happening if you're, you're watching things with these two, with Iran and Russia, they're becoming bedfellows. They're becoming allies. So the most recent thing is Iran is buying fighter jets from Putin. Putin is buying drones and all kinds of military equipment from Iran to use against. So, so these guys are becoming buddy-buddy. So it doesn't take much stretch to say, hey, Israel attacks Iran, Putin or whoever takes over for him says, wait a minute, that's my buddy, we're going to take care of you, Israel. Just something to think about, something to think about. 
Right, on to central bank digital currency. Does anybody have like a, a one-paragraph definition of what digital currency is? Do we have any financial people? No? Good. Because I think somewhere I always carry it with me because I need a lot of money here. This is a $100 bill. Yes, it is authentic. It's not counterfeit. Okay? $100 bill. I don't want to see my $100 bill being put into pluses and minuses and zeros and digitalized. Okay? I want to take my $100 bill, go somewhere, and I want to be able to spend my $100 bill and say, well, you know what? It's digitalized. Somewhere in the cloud. And you may or may not be able to use it. So, what's the big deal? I think it was last year Biden instructed, was a treasury, to look into central bank digital currency. Some few countries have them. So here, it's a digital currency. Remember, there's no cash here. There are no coins here. It's all digital. It's in the cloud somewhere, probably in the Federal Reserve's cloud. Okay, so this is issued and provided by a government-controlled central facility, not like a crypto like Bitcoin, which is totally decentralized, and you can't trace it, supposedly. This is traceable cryptocurrency. It's not... And if you implement this completely, it's going to lead to a completely cashless society. So this poor guy is already there. He's, he's in his cashless society. So you're, as this goes on, as development proceeds, you're going to hear it being hyped and pushed and say, this is great because with this we can control criminals, we can control tax cheats, and blah, 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 blah. But... We have issues. Okay, remember, this central bank, central government entity who have direct visibility, they, will, they already know what we spend and where we spend it, but it gets even worse. You can be fined, your account emptied if the government deems your behavior undesirable. I mean, think social credit scores, think China. You say something, you do something, you come to Eastern Camp, your account may be zeroed out. That's far. I think if I remember right, some credit card companies are saying, you can't use our credit card to buy anything related to firearms. Donations to organizations deemed political incorrect may be zero. Okay, so your local pro-life, the ACCF, the foundation, you say, well, this money, take it out of my digital account, give it to the ACCF. No, no, sorry, we can't do that. And the possibility that you could program this stuff so say your digital account in the cloud, you have $1,000, and you say, I'm going to save that money to go to Eastern Camp 2024. Government says, uh-uh, this money is going to run out in a month. You either have to spend it in a month or it's no good. And yes, they can do that. So the government could theoretically give out money that has an expiration date or, as we said, or something that you can only use for certain items. So again, we're going back to this idea of Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. We want to be able to control the economies of the world. The 
There's no limit to the level of control could exert over people with money. It's one purely electronic, provided directly by the government, given out directly by the government. CBDC would give federal officials full control, first of all, the money going into and coming out of every person's account. And so you can see where this kind of says, well, you know what, if we have central bank digital currency, I mean, who needs the mark of the beast, kind of. Also, it false prophet second beast, not the Antichrist, this helper, causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for his number of man is number 666. So, We've had a cottage industry for almost 2,000 years of, well, what does 666 mean? Who is the beast? Who is the Antichrist? And people make lots of money writing little books about, I know the beast. I know who this is. We don't. But there you go. You have a barcode. You have a bad government. And you have the power of the lives of the people. So, since March, about March, when word came out about chat, GPT, all you hear about, if you pay attention, is AI, artificial intelligence. AI here, AI there, AI everywhere on old McDonald's farm, everything, everywhere. It's all AI. We're going to adapt AI to everything we do, and it's going to be great. So... Intelligence, the ability to perceive or infer information, the ability basically to think and reason and take that and apply it to a problem that you have never faced before. So you apply reason and your mind and what you've learned to new problems. So we've had artificial intelligence since you know, the first adding machines, basically. And when you went to high school, you had, this is awesome. That was in the late 70s. So artificial intelligence, intelligence demonstrated by machines, by machines. So AI, right now we're using Google search, Amazon recognition, speech recognition systems, creative systems. So this is the new guy on the block, ChatGPT. So we have been working for many years. We haven't had AI. We have AI, but it's known as a weak IA, which is programmed for something highly specific, like a search engine. So you type in, how do I get to Eastern Camp at EMU, and it spews out the results. Something specific, or Amazon, recommend me a book on the Trinity. Very specific. What we're going into now, and which this may be a part of, strong AI, which would theoretically equal or surpass human intelligence, is, is really kind of the end goal here. We want something that is a general AI, that we can give them a problem, any kind of a problem, and they will give us answers, not just specific problems. And so we have ChatGPT, they're still in its infancy. So what is it? So the chat is like a chat bot or an avatar that, that will talk to you. You know, say, ChatGPT, give me a sermon on whatever. And you get the, the talking head, and you guys can have a conversation. So GPT, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. 
transform is a type of AI system. Pre-trained means the program has already learned to function by analyzing massive sets of data the entire So basically, ChatGPT has at its resources in an instant everything that's on the internet, everything that is available. And that's why in another instant, it can answer your question. And that's the generative part. Generative refers to the program's ability to create human-like written materials based on that data. So obviously the point here is that the internet leans left, so chat GPT will lean left when you ask it. This was a month or two ago. They made a big fuss about this. This is a Lutheran church in Germany. This is an avatar up here, or a chat, or a talking head, who gave a sermon that was scripted and written by chat GPT. So the whole service, the songs, the prayers, the sermon, everything was written by chat GPT, and they just ran this program here. So I like this. I like this. Because this is instant sermon stuff, okay? <laughs> so instead of spending the weekend working on your sermon, you know, give it to chat GPT, go to sleep early, do something all day Saturday, and you're hip to go. And you can even have somebody put a screen up and have an avatar read it. And you know, brought to you by Ron Bauman, who used to be a preacher. So this stuff does have some potentials. Okay, the, the bad, the ugly part of AI, obviously, what's it going to do to the economy? Will robots with AI replace humans? Not just in assembly lines, in a lot of things. So obviously, it's also very useful for bad characters like the Antichrist, who can weaponize it, and especially good for widespread surveillance. So if you're the Antichrist, and you have strong AI, you don't have to go out and hire thousands and millions of people to keep track of the world. All you need is some advanced AI, kind of like they're doing in China with the cultural scores. So here's the other issue people are thinking about. AI can become super intelligent may be able to improve itself to the point that humans cannot control it. In effect, superintelligence could become malevolent. What do we mean by malevolent? It could become dangerous to normal society, to you and I. You can say, well, you know what, Once, if the program just confined to your laptop or mainframe, we're okay. But again, this is not science fiction. Smart people in this field are thinking, how far can this go? So this is Scientific American, the old magazine that was when you went to high school or college, was laying around there in the biology and physics and chemistry. And you look at it and say, wow, that, that's pretty impressive, Scientific American. So this is an opinion piece, May the 25th, 2023, quoting Jeffrey Hinton. He's godfather of AI, okay? So he worked on this for Google. So he's not some kook. He was a chief guy at Google. He said, the idea that this stuff could actually get smarter than people, I thought it was way off. Obviously, I no longer think that. And so he quit his job at Google to warn. You may think, you know, this is just science fiction. 
but it's getting into the real world. So this is the scary part. Once strong AI systems are built into robots, okay, once you take them out as a program from your mainframe or your laptop or whatever you have and put them into a robot that is mobile and can function and that has hands, once strong AI systems are built into robots, they will be able to act in the real world rather than only the electronic world. Again, this is a quote from this piece here. They will be able to improve themselves at a superhuman pace. Any defenses or protections we attempt to build in these AI systems will be anticipated and neutralized by the AI system. We won't be able to control them because anything we think of, they will have already thought a million times faster than us. Okay, okay who has used ChatGPT yet? A few. How do you like it? Yeah. It spits back stuff that already exists out there. Okay. So so we have to refine it. It refines itself. So it okay. keeps getting better. You, you say no, give me something else, and it'll come up really? with another answer until you're happy. So. so it's kind of turning into a super intelligence, maybe? Okay. Who else? Try. And what do you think? Yeah. Well, I'm going to use it as part of the material on our forum. Okay. I, I, right. Okay. And, uh, and technically, I use it for writing code. It's very useful. Uh -huh. But, but Gib, are you using it for sermon prep yet? I'm not saying. Not Okay. No, it has a Okay. Thanks, Gib. All right. So, transhumanism. Anybody know who this guy is? Who's watched Star Trek The Next Generation? Anybody? Raise your hands. Who is this? Yes. Okay, so this is Captain Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the Enterprise. He was captured by, by who? The Borg. The Borg. The Borg captured our captain and transformed him. So he is now part human, but he is also part of the collective, the Borg. So they have enhanced him with all kinds of mechanical thingamabobbies, and he is on his way to becoming superhuman. So this is the transhumanism sign. Okay, so what is transhumanism? The belief or the theory that the human race can evolve beyond its current physical and mental limitations, especially by means of science and technology. In other words, a transhuman is a being that resembles a human in most respects, but has powers and abilities beyond those of standard human. So, yes, this is John Luke Picard, who, yes, he still looks semi-human, but he has been transformed into somebody with more power than the standard human. Correct? Yes. Thank you. So, BCI. Okay, anybody know what BCI stands for? Yeah. Brain-Computer Interface. Is it up there somewhere? Okay, right there. Brain-Computer Interfaces, BCI. Okay, Neuralink. Company founded to neurotechnology. Okay, who, who owns Neuralink? Anybody? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Excellent. He's got his fingers everywhere. So, Elon Musk, still the owner, so... 
But BCI is a direct communication between the brain's electrical activity and the computer. So what you're basically doing is implanting electrodes into the brain, and people have been doing that to try to treat some tremor diseases, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But so what they've developed, what Neuralink has developed, is this robotic surgical device that you can implant very thin. Okay, this is one of their electrodes, four to six micrometers. This is an electrode. This is a human hair. This is the electrode. So this machine here can implant hundreds or even thousands of these tiny, tiny electrodes into the brain. And the idea is obviously to treat brain and spinal cord injury diseases. But do things stop? They usually don't. Very interesting here. Neuralink received FDA approval. These are the same people that have approved your COVID shots and vaccines, so be careful. Neuralink received FDA approval for human clinical trials of BSI in May 2023. So just a few months ago, they received permission, said, you guys can go ahead, find some volunteers who want electrodes implanted in their head, and go for it. But we've got huge ethical issues, Okay. Misuse, again, you get a rogue government, a rogue agency in charge of this stuff. Who's responsible and accountable? Who's going to know what's going to happen to your brain when they do this to you? BCI, blurs the division between human and machine. So again, we're looking at transhumanism. You're trying to put machine with human to get something better than either one. So here, a cyborg. Cyborg is a being you have both organic, so our friend Captain Picard, as part of the Borg, was a cyborg. He had both organic human flesh parts and biomechatronic body parts. So the more BCI is workable, you're blurring. Are you a person or are you a machine? Are you a computer? Because you now have these thousands of electrodes, or are you still a human? And the other idea is... Android, okay, a lot of our phones, we run on what? Android operating system. So what is original definition, what's the original definition of an Android? Who's an Android in Star Trek? Uh, data. Data, okay. So what's the definition of an Android? Not the operating system. What's an Android? Android is a robot that looks like a human. So when you think Android, we look out here and we see all these people, we could not pick out who is the robot and who is the human because the android outside looks just like a human. So if Elon Musk is ahead of schedule, one of us here could be an android or a cyborg. But that's the problem. What, how far can this go? So you pair, you pair like an android, a robot who looks like a person, you give him strong AI, and then send them out. You have just sent out and let loose on the world a probable, possible, superintelligent being that, you know, you, you let him build more robots like him, and eventually they become out of our control. And that used to be all science fiction and good science fiction, but we are really getting to that point. And we have to understand that there are people, there are people who want us at this point 
for control. Remember, what's the Antichrist's point? He needs to bring the world under control. How do you do that? You need strong AI. You need BCI. You need central bank digital currency. You need to be able to monitor what everybody in this world is doing. And so if, if you're a cyborg or an android or a transhuman, you've got a lot of BCI connections and you're connected to your little implanted computer, put that with human augmentation, is that going to give you an advantage? So right now we have classes, they say. We have the poor, we have the rich, we have the weak, the strong, we have the colored and the non-colored, all these victims and classes. So is this going to be another victim or class? Those who are augmented, those who have the ability and the money to be augmented and be transhumanized versus those who don't. Who is going to control who? in that scenario. So here is the nightmare. Not our nightmare, but the world's coming nightmare. We got an augmented, a transhuman antichrist, a superintelligent antichrist, a strong AI invigorated antichrist who with BCI is able to interface with any computer system and using digital currency artificial intelligence to implement his plan or done. So we have the talks about the images and the beasts and the image talking and all these things. All these things that Revelation talks about are imminently possible with this new intelligence. Theoretically, okay, we're not going to be dogmatic and say, you know what, be careful, guard your house, your children, this is coming next year. Who knows? But it's on the horizon. Okay? People are advancing this. Advancing this. Okay? Under our very noses while we're here at this for control. Because in the end, that's what man wants. He wants power and he wants control. And if you're the Antichrist, you have the ultimate power and the ultimate control. And, and we think, why would anybody do that? Because people, in their hearts, what did Jeremiah say? They are wicked. They are desperately wicked. And so we need to be on the watch. And I was not trying to scare anybody or say, wow, the end is here. You hear what that guy said? You know, I'll go home and my home will be taken over. We need to be watching. So this was a far-fetched idea. So when I was in high school, college... You never heard of any of this stuff, okay? So we had rotary-dialed phones. They were plugged in a landline. That's all there was. A rotary-dialed phone plugged in a landline. And if you were really, really rich, you could have more than one phone in the house, okay? There were no computers. There were these little Texas instrument calculator, you know, the plus, minus, divide, that was it. There was no social media. There was no internet. There, were no com- there was nothing. You came home from school and you were basically isolated till the next day. And the day we have the problem, nobody is isolated. 24-7, we are somehow connected. There's no rest. Okay, the lesson tomorrow is talking about God's rest. For many people, there is no rest. They are plugged into social media. And you've probably heard it a hundred times, be careful. 
Why are churches getting smaller and smaller? Because people are plugged into social media 24-7. And that's exactly what the Antichrist will use. And so, no, I'm not a Luddite that wants to go back 50 years. It's no fun. So you have the rotary phone, you dial one, and the dial goes all the way back. And you dial the second number. And go. So five minutes later, your call is finished. Nobody wants to go back to that. But we need to be careful. So who's the Antichrist? Who knows? Is the Antichrist out there now? Who knows? Has there been an Antichrist every generation for a long time? Maybe. Who knows? But all of this was a dream, not that many years ago, but it is a reality now. You want to know how on earth did the Antichrist control the entire world? This is how he can do it. But for our sense, things are not really falling apart, even though they seem to be falling apart. So somebody came up with this. Things are not falling apart according to God's plan. And since we are on God's side, we adhere to his plan. We need to understand that things are falling into place in his plan. Lo, the promise, okay? God is committed to us, we heard a few days ago. God has some commitments to us. This is one of them. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That is a commitment of God, not a commitment of man. That commitment cannot and will not be broken. So, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, I've done too much talking. Do we have questions or comments? Anybody? Yes? All right, excellent question. Class, <laughs> are we going to be here for this? Are we going to be, who says we're going to be around for some of this? Come on, be bold, raise your hands. Okay, how many of you say, nah, we're going to be raptured first? Okay, eh. how many don't know? Okay, is there anybody here, though, who doesn't care about a rapture? Is there anybody here who doesn't care? There is Pepsi in heaven. What's that? I, I, I try to have the attitude like be ready. Right, exactly, whenever it comes, right? If it doesn't, Exactly, perfect, yes, beautiful. Anything yeah. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, an image that speaks for, yeah. Yeah, they have some somewhere, don't they? They, they have. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anything else? Okay, so the church's role is to support God's people, okay? So here's the problem. There's a, a branch of theology, supersessionism, that says God has no more use for the Jews. They are not his people anymore. And that is a heresy. That is a lie. God 
Talking about commitments again, God committed to Abraham, I am going to take care of your people forever. So our role as God's people is to also be concerned about his nation, Israel. So however you want to act on that or not act on it, our role is to support not everything they do, obviously, because Israel right now is a secular nation. Okay, so if this Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens and they see God's miracle, they will slowly turn into a spiritual nation. But our job is to support them as God's chosen people, which they still are. Okay, the church has not taken over their function. What did Paul say? The word goes out to who? The Jew first and then the Gentile? Yeah. I mean, you go to Israel and you're going to find there's a lot of people, a lot of Israelis that will hate you for trying to evangelize Israel. And that's, they're stuck back into, because I'm a Jew, I'm already God's person. I'm already kind of redeemed. So, but yes, they need it just as much as anybody else. Yes, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, without us interfering, they can prove themselves. That's scary. Yeah. ChatGPT is still only using data from two years ago, so it's not up to date yet. Also, Microsoft is using it for their big search engine. So now search engines are using that technology, so, so it's still in its infancy, and it's, it's only going to get more and more so, which means we need to be more and more discerning? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're ready, you have your search in, you type in a few letters, and it gives you 10 options. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> exactly. So, so they're, they're still not even firing on all cylinders. Correct. Yeah. That's scary. True, true, which makes it easier for the bad guys. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Yeah, we don't think about that either. Yeah. We got the answer here.
I think the answer is, is education. I mean, and we have to educate our, ourselves a lot of this because we're not going to get it from, you know, the university of whatever. So we need to educate ourselves what it can and cannot do, the bad things it can do, who may be using it. So, I mean, you're right, you, you, you can't back. You need to be up on the news. You don't need to be a news, what, geek? But you need to be up on events from multiple sources, not just one. So you look at these events and you filter them. And that's why it's so important. You've got to have a Christian worldview. That way you can look at all these events, filter them through your Christian worldview and say, okay, what is this really doing? What does it really mean? Where is it really going? And then you warn other people. Because, you know, it's, it's an... We have even more reason to do that, much more reason to do that now. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're getting late. Thank you all for coming.